In this episode, Ian, Scott, and I talk about the definition of an entrepreneur and discuss the qualities and common failure points that entrepreneurs encounter while starting their first company. Welcome to the Business Design Podcast, the podcast that helps entrepreneurs design and build businesses that succeed on their own, even if you take a six-month vacation. We're your hosts, Ian, John, and Scott, and we're here to share the successes and pitfalls of many entrepreneurs like you and equip you to make daily progress in your business. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about the definition of an entrepreneur, and we want to discuss uh, what, what are the qualities of an entrepreneur, what are some common failure points that we've encountered or we've seen other people encounter. So let's start with a definition. Who's got a definition for us? What is an entrepreneur? Yeah, I pulled up a definition. So the word originally comes from French, and uh, it has a couple different meanings. A manager, a promoter of a theatrical production, originally. This is, this <laughs> is from 1828, so... Yep. Still works today. Pretty similar. The original marketer is what you are. <laughs> and then it really means one who undertakes or manages. Huh. The Undertaker. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like that. Oh, well. It brings memories from, no, from, from high school. Okay. That's great. So do we have like a modern version? <laughs> I, 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 so, this, this might be a little bit more useful. Um, Harvard Business School has a definition that they've been teaching. And so their definition is this. Entrepreneurship is the pursuit of opportunity beyond resources controlled. I really like that definition. I, I know it's not perfect and it doesn't get to all of the aspects of being an entrepreneur, but I really like the idea of pursuing something that you can see, but you know you don't have the resources for and, and solving the resourcing problem. I think that's, I think that fits. Yeah, I think that really is the core of entrepreneurship is that you generally, when you're starting, you do not have all the resources you need, but it doesn't matter. You're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So, so there's something about I don't know. <laughs> like, personally, I'm just like sitting here. And I, I'm I'm hearing him. It. It's like, really, is that concise? It's just I don't know what it is. It, it's I need maybe we can when we start unpacking it, it'll, it'll hit me. So let's talk about the, the end. Oh, hold, of, hold on. So I'm going to put you on the spot. So yeah. what would Jen, What would you say if you had to come up with the, the one sentence definition? What, what would your definition? Oh be? my god. Um, <laughs> entrepreneur is someone who. Essentially, I would take Eric Reese's definition, which is to say, and this is paraphrasing, a, a startup is a human institution uh, that is creating value, trying to develop value um, in a highly uncertain or risk environment, a chaotic environment. And I would say that the definition of an entrepreneur is someone who is in search of a business model or in search of a opportunity. Um, in, and thrives in a highly uncertain and chaotic environment um, and, is, and is very good at building a human institution to do, to do it, right? So I'd, I'd take his definition of a startup and then just flip it around and say, hey, this is, this is the person who does this thing or leads this, thing, this type of thing. I would agree with that for at least early stage companies. Yeah. That, that's, that's what you have to be to be an entrepreneur. But I'd say as the company progresses, you're still an entrepreneur even after you've established that business model and you're, you're past that. Well, so that, that's a very interesting point. So my, my thing that I've been wrestling is when you do begin making that transition from mm-hmm. an entrepreneur to more of a 
um, a kind of a managing, still owner, mm-hmm. and you need the entrepreneurial spirit, mm-hmm. um, but it's entrepreneur and entrepreneurship, which mm-hmm. typically talks about the early stages of a business, mm-hmm. if it still applies to the whole life of a business. And I know, Scott, <laughs> when you look at your business, that's how you feel. You yeah. feel like th- that your company has never left the startup phase. You are always constantly going to be an entrepreneur. How do you feel about that? You know, like personally, I feel like it should be limited more towards the beginning. There's an entrepreneurial spirit of mm-hmm. constantly having to innovate and start new things, but it's not necessarily, I wouldn't call the whole life of a company entrepreneurship. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I think part of it is the some of the risk never goes away if you're if you're entrepreneurial. So yes, yes. even when you do have a business that maybe has a business model and it's executing and it's doing well, if you're entrepreneurial, you're still thinking of what's that next thing? What's that new thing? What else could we be doing? How can we really throw the industry just on its head and yeah. do something mm-hmm. totally different? So I don't think every company is in that stage. I, I think there's a lot of companies that are not entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but I, I think it varies. I, I don't know if it has to necessarily be just in those early days. So one of the things that I, I, I've always think, and I don't want to go too much longer on this thing for you guys, but uh, you know, somebody who gets an MBA, who's a professional manager per se, you know, who gets trained to manage a company, um, would we consider them entrepreneurial? You know, they have to be to succeed per se, but my question would be whether or not most MBAs and business majors coming out, at least default, the way ed- education is structured around and what they're supposed to be good at and their skill sets, yeah. whether or not they would be considered an entrepreneur. No, that's, that's a good point. Well, and I, I, I think a lot of MBAs maybe aren't necessarily well-suited to a startup or to necessarily running a company yeah. in some of those early stages because there's a lot of different skill sets right. that I think are involved. Later stage, the company just mm-hmm. runs so much differently where maybe some of those skill sets do come in. Do you, no, I see would, your point. Would you say like an entrepreneur has to be a founder? If you're a founder, you're always going to be entrepreneurial, certainly. <laughs> but if you're an entrepreneur, um, one of the definitions maybe should be that, hey, you should be a founder of the organization. And then once mm-hmm. the next generation or person comes in, and they certainly need to have the spirit and be constantly innovating, but the entrepreneur is only limited to the founders. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm. Interesting. Food for thought. Yes. <laughs> it's a provocative idea. <laughs> we'll blog about it. Yes. <laughs> so there's got to be some common uh, characteristics. I, you know, Scott, you mentioned like um, sort of a certain a certain uh, fearlessness, perhaps, in in running an organization in an entrepreneurial way. Um, Probably something else that goes along with that, I would imagine, is a high high tolerance for stress. Maybe I'm speaking, maybe I'm projecting, <laughs> but but I, I think that's probably something that's uh, really key. What what are some other things that you guys have noticed about the entrepreneurial person and the yeah. characteristics? Yeah. characteristics? I think yeah. I think along with you know the stress tolerance comes. You have to be just inherently optimistic mm. to do this. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the stress will get it to be too much for you. You'll see that you can't do it, and mm-hmm. you might just give up. Yeah, which kind of leads into sounds like tenacity. Sounds like you have to be persistent and not give up. Mm-hmm. So, an entrepreneur is constantly, you know, we know it's never a straight shot from A to B. And that you see it, and you just gotta do these four things, and you'll 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 make it work. And it seems like that journey is almost like a sailboat, and depending on how the wind changes, you have to actually kind of redirect your your boat to 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 take advantage of the wi- the wind as well as the waves, and you'll probably face numerous dips and and uh, roadblocks and different constraints 
which you have to adapt to, but nonetheless, uh, if you're not optimistic or if you're not tenacious, you're going to give up and you'll probably fail spectacularly. Yeah, well, and even if maybe the, the thing that you're building, the product that you're building isn't doing so well and that's starting to fail, it's knowing mm-hmm. when to pivot, when to mm-hmm. change course, and maybe not necessarily saying, okay, it's not going to work, I give up, I'm going back to my day job. So maybe courageous also and mm-hmm. in, in having, having a, a level of, you know, um, firm belief in that, that, okay, we're going to stick with this. And I think, yeah, yeah, there's something to that. Like, it's more than ambition, right? Because right. you have to, you have to be ambitious, but you have to be willing to actually take the step and go and do, you know, and take yeah. action. You know, the sailboat analogy works. Another one that works for me is, um, the idea of setting a bearing. I'm, I'm thinking back to my, my scouting days here. But <laughs> when you're compass. in the woods with a compass, right? Yeah. Like you, you set a bearing, you, you, you walk and you, you look for an object in the distance, a physical object. If you're in the woods, it's a tree. You walk towards that object. And then when you get to the object, you have to reset your bearing yeah. because the, just the, the terrain will cause you to deviate. And it's that act of constantly resetting your bearing. And, but you've gotta, you can't just look there and, and, and will it to happen. You have to actually go and, and encounter the terrain along the way. Um, and I think that, you know, the other thing about that is, is just sort of that thriving in, in the midst of uncertainty or in the, at, whatever the atmosphere that you've got going on that's, that might be causing it to be, uh, difficult, um, whether it's just lack of resources or not being sure how you're going to solve the specific problem uh-huh. you, you're, you're excited about. Right. Um, being able to thrive in that environment where, where there's so much uncertainty, I, I, I got to believe is key. Yeah. What, what about um, one word that comes to my mind is visionary. Um, mm. It almost yeah. sounds like Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I, when I say visionary, I mean, I, mostly it's about creativity and imagination. Mm-hmm. And... You know, visionary, I think, implies that there is a grand vision, long-term view of what you want to, being ambitious about, what you mm-hmm. want to achieve. But I've seen so many entrepreneurs who are really good at just seeing the next couple steps, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And just, you, you kind of see the direction in that sense. And, you know, and the visionary in that sense, they have the imagination to kind of picture a reality that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. But then you don't necessarily have to see that completely clearly. I mean, most entrepreneurs, as long as when they have vision, just like a couple steps ahead that they're able to see, a little way that they can improve a certain process or a product. But visionary seems um, can come as both levels for me. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that you have to be aware of as a founder and as an entrepreneur is that you can't expect your team necessarily to be the ones that are thinking that couple steps ahead. Mm-hmm. That is your job. That's, I mean, you started this, it was your initial vision. And so right. you have to be the one who's thinking, okay, what's coming next and anticipating things. That's a good point. And you mentioned team. So now yeah. <laughs> I question is like, wow. What, what, so what does it mean to have a team? Uh, what are some qualities that you'll need as an entrepreneur to be able to lead a team? Yeah, that's a that seems like a, a challenge for especially for entrepreneurs who this might be the first time they're doing a startup. Um, it, they're they're putting themselves in a position where they will undoubtedly have to be a leader of a team at some point or another, probably unless they have another co-founder that comes alongside them or something. They're gonna they're gonna encounter that. They might not have ever had sort of a leadership experience in in the, in the business world. I'm curious, Scott, like how that's worked for you because as a founder and you've mentioned vision and. And sort of setting out, and, and and obviously over the course of the years, you guys have picked up team members. Um, is there are there things that you guys have done that have helped uh, 
not only just convey the vision, but get people excited about what you're doing, where you're headed, um, yeah. even I though they weren't the ones that came up with the idea in the first place. I think you have to be really deliberate about it. And I mean, we would, we'll actually hold meetings every year where we take a look at, so this is our, kind of our end of the year recap, new year meeting, where this is generally in January, where we look back and say, you know, wh what have we done? And then where are we headed? What are we doing? And that's where we really try to get people excited about the idea that, look, we accomplished an awful lot this year. Look at all the great things that we did. But that's that's just a small piece of what we can become and what we will become and what we're going to do for the following year. And, mm -hmm. and being able to communicate that and get people excited about it and say, I'm so glad that I'm working with this company because they're doing great things. Yeah. I think that's your job as a leader. Yeah, as celebrating accomplishments. That's that that's big, I think. Yeah. Just you know, showing that you know, you're excited about what, what's happened and that those things that have happened are on the road to where you're headed. Yep. If you can put those two together, that will motivate, you know, people to get excited about where they're going. Yeah, it does. Even from for me when I'm running some of those meetings and I start talking and, you know, you start to get so excited about it because you can see the vision. I think that really, uh, people can sense that. And then that's what gets them really excited when they see that you're genuinely excited about this business and glad to be here and and just optimistic about what you're going to do. Right. So, I mean, being able to communicate the mission, having a passion for it, mm -hmm. those are great qualities of a leader who is definitely leading a team. And, and we, we, I think we've agreed that if we haven't seen a business that's grown or is a startup that's significant without a team. So being able to be a leader seems like an important quality for an entrepreneur. Any other uh, kind of qualities that come to mind? One thing that I thought was interesting, so I was listening to an interview on This Week in Startups from uh, Jason Calacanis talking to Adeo Risi from the Founder Institute, and one of the things that Adeo brought up, so, so they actually do uh, kind of an interview process, it's like a, a whole test that they have all the applicants to uh, their program go through to measure whether they think that this person is going to become a good entrepreneur and would be suited for the job. Um, and so one of the things that he mentioned as a, a trait that he looks for is something called fluid intelligence. Mm -hmm. So can you give us a definition of fluid intelligence? <laughs> so so for, from what I understand of it, it's, it's the idea of being able to, to see things happen and then um, be able to, uh, for one, adapt, but then just to see the world in a different way, to be able to connect things mm. um, and just to be able to learn from all these different things that you're seeing and be able to learn very quickly. Um, and he, his point was that you can learn a little bit of that, but primarily that's something you're born with. It's just something that oh, some wow. people are good at and some people just aren't. It sounds kind of like rapid iteration <laughs> for a mindset or, you know, right. your sort of business worldview. <laughs> right. Yeah. Being able to apply things that you learn really quickly. Right. And, and seeing the connections between different ideas. I really like it because, uh, you know, our definition of a startup is something, an organization that's searching for mm -hmm. a, a business model, a scalable business model. And in that case, you know, when you're searching, it's really about keeping your eyes open, being open to op you know, possibilities and just being able to adjust as necessary. Yeah, I think it's seeing opportunity in things yeah. that most people don't see the opportunity in. Right, right. Wow. That's, that's a great, great word. I mean, that's something I'd love to dig into more and maybe we could just devote one one session on that sometime down the road. Um, so we talked about some qualities that we've noticed other people amongst us and different things that we've experienced, but what are some things that entrepreneurs aren't typically good at? Like what are some 
um, not qualities that they don't have. That, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think a lot of times entrepreneurs tend not to be as focused on the details. Mm. I mean, just by virtue of being so <laughs> big picture that yeah. it's hard for us to always just to, to get in and actually do it. Yep. <laughs> I think that's where a, just an excellent team comes in so right. they can keep you in check and make sure that things are getting done. And, and something that parallels or complements details is consistency. Yeah. Um, being able to do be okay with doing the same thing over and over and over again yeah. with the exact same level of detail. That may not be something that gets with your personality as an entrepreneur, get you excited. I definitely don't feel that way. I can because I'm horrible <laughs> at that. Um, another kind of thing I, I, you know, that I see a lot of entrepreneurs almost seem like they have ADD or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to stay focused and disciplined. Um, they're they have brand new ideas all the time, so they're kind of jumping from one idea to another, or they're kind of looking at the shiny new things here and there, having a hard time just sitting down, just focusing on this one thing and just focusing for a long time. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing that uh, that's really influenced me in my entrepreneurial growth is reading. Somebody had recommended read to read the E Myth book when I first started out years ago, and this E Myth book is the Entrepreneur's Myth written by Michael Gerber, and uh, it's an excellent book. I really recommend everybody reading it. But essentially what, it, what, it, what the entrepreneur's myth is, is that uh, a technical person in a company thinks that they can do a better job in running the company than their boss because they're better at the technical jobs. Not realizing that running a company or thinking about the bigger picture of the company as an entrepreneur is so much more than just the technical aspect of what you're good at. You, that the fact that you're good at executing specific things or uh, technical challenges are what makes you a good entrepreneur is the entrepreneur's myth. And so, so many engineers and so many people who have uh, advanced skill sets think that they're going to be able to do a great job being an entrepreneur when they quickly find out, once they can step out on their own, that they hate all these other aspects about the business <laughs> and that what they thought was entrepreneurship or business wasn't really what it, what they were uh, thinking it was or cut off to be. Yeah, a major pitfall that can come in too when you're stuck in that and thinking that you're going to build a, a great business because you're good at the technical side of it is that um, there's definitely a hesitance to delegate because nobody can do it as well as you. That's why you started the company. So, right. yeah, how, how are you going right. to ever grow the company if you can't delegate? But, I, I mean, I've seen it in myself, too. <laughs> like, okay, I should just do this myself because right. you can't do it right. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the it's really painful sometimes when you have to teach somebody how to do certain things because you're trying to scale yeah. and you're trying... It's really difficult to replicate yourself in many ways, right? So I think many entrepreneurs have a hard time. They're not even sure how to go about doing this. And what makes a good entrepreneur is somebody that can teach somebody and, and as well as have the courage to delegate it and say, you know, this is good enough. Mm -hmm. It may not be perfect, quote unquote. Yeah, or at least the way I would do it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, another maybe kind of pitfall a entrepreneur might have is that Sometimes you get tunnel vision because you, you tend to be a technical person, maybe becoming an entrepreneur, and especially true for a technical entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, you get so deep into the solution and, and what you need to do to execute and you build the thing or you start kind of working on the problem itself, but that's all you see instead of, instead of what you're supposed to see the whole big picture of it. and the forest 
that you're dealing with, which is your company. Any experiences on your guys regarding tunnel vision? Yeah, I, I would say that for technical people who are, who are being founders, it, it can be particularly hard because you set out with an idea for how you envision your product, especially if it's a web-based product, how you envision it coming together. For a designer like me, that, that, that certainly infers a certain aesthetic. You know, I think about it in terms of uh, what I see other uh, well-established companies doing. And it's easy for me to be really tempted to, to focus on, um, you know, visuals or, you know, the, how it's going to, and I know for, for developers, the same sort of thing. You, you don't want messy code or, you know, you want to make sure that, it, um, it's going to stand up <laughs> when you're telling your friends about it. Um, those kinds of things that you, you can get really hung up on. And I, I've had to really learn to separate myself and my own, uh, personal standards. Or things like design a little bit from what I know is right for the business and that's a little hard because to a certain degree you're sacrificing something that's very close to you it's very personal feeling uh, when you sort of let go of your own standard a little bit um, and obviously you, you one of the one of the benefits of being a technical co-founder is that you can apply some of that and you can oversee some of that so it's good to have that to a certain degree but it's hard to let go sometimes of just, you know, what you feel is, is it, it really bothers me, for instance, when I can't spend the time that I want, you know, fixing the, the certain design aspect or something. Um, but I know that I have to just get it out there, test it, and try it, and iterate from there. So, yeah. yeah. I know one thing that I've had to hold myself back from doing is when I do have a team that's working on the product and I know how I want it to look, and then I see them doing it differently than I would do it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, at, at some point, sometimes it does make sense to step in, but more times than not, I found that it's much better for me to just stay back, not not criticize too much, and allow people, allow my staff to come up with their own ideas and build what they think is best. It's going to empower them, and then they're going to come up with the thing that they think really does work. And a lot of times it actually ends up being just as good, if not better, than what I was going to have them do. Right. But by me interjecting, now they're going to feel like they have to come to me every time they make a change or every time they're implementing a feature. And that's not... Uh, that's not good for my business. Right, right, absolutely. Um, some of the other kind of things that entrepreneurs are not good at, maybe uh, I think we talked about how they're really good at taking, um, you know, looking at the big picture. Sometimes they're actually not good at attention to details, and so those are some of the actual the co common pitfalls that we make. Is that we know not only do we have to be seeing the bigger picture. But you really can't drop the ball in execution. I mean, this is the balancing act that every entrepreneur has to be really good at. Is that you have to see the big picture. You have to be, in many ways, not good at details. And then the catch-22 is you have to be good at details or else you won't be able to survive or be able to deliver that value in the beginning. And many times we have to do, you have to wear many hats yourself. And if when you're doing those jobs, you have to do it with excellence. And I think one of the mistakes we make is that we we think it's okay not to pay attention with the details. I would say that that's probably a problem with entrepreneurs who are on their second, third, you know, business, and then yeah. they kind of get a little lazy after. Or maybe in your fifth or sixth year of your business, you begin mm -hmm. get a little bit more relaxed about details, and you don't, you, you know, you got some money in the bank, and you re you really don't care about these small expenses or how to do things right. Yeah, I think you need to be able to switch between the two, too. Be able yeah. to look at the big picture, look at the details, and be able to turn that on and off, and then make time for both of them. 
I think if you really, especially if you have a small team, you're just getting started, um, you're going to be focused maybe on the details, and then there's a tendency not to look at the big picture, not to take the time. Yeah. Well, and speaking of balancing and, and big picture, I mean, certainly one that's you know near and dear to me is that whole like work-life balance issue and mm -hmm. um, one of the reasons that I started into entrepreneurship is because I felt like I had a work-life balance issue and I wanted to mm -hmm. ultimately solve that right. um, and I knew it was going to get worse before it got better sure enough <laughs> it's gotten a lot worse before it got better but that that to me is is a big one um, I you know I, I have a family and, and a wife and kids and it's hard when you when you realize that you know your kids want more time with you and you're you know, tinkering in the basement, you know, <laughs> deep into the night uh, to try to solve some problem or something. Um, it both puts the hurt on your, your work-life balance, uh, which which adds to your stress load. Mm -hmm. um, but it also creates this environment where burnout, the potential for burnout is really high, I think. And burnout, uh, I mean, I've experienced true burnout where I just, I, you know, my eyes sort of glaze over and I just, I have nothing, no no creative energy and no ability to produce. For the day or are you talking about for a year? <laughs> well, I'm talking about for, for a couple of days. Like, I've been through burnout for a period of about a week um, in which, like, I had no, I, I just physically could not get myself to produce anything. I'd sit at the computer and just stare. And so I know... How frustrating and how real that can be for people. Um, I can't imagine if you would go through it for a year. That'd be, that'd be terrible. But um, it's but it happens in those in those high stress times. You feel yourself coming up to that point, and you know you have to balance and dial back just a little bit so that you can keep going and keep pushing because it takes a lot of energy to do this. It takes mental energy and physical energy, and it fatigues people around you. Like that's one thing I've noticed about it is that it creates these like sort of shock waves of, of stress outward, especially if you have a family. Um, and, and that's something that I'm always wrestling with and trying to balance. Mm. So, Scott, for you, now that you've been in business for 10 years, and I know what it was like for me, for Mutual Human, and what I do now, um, how many hours a week do you think you spend on your business on average? Good question. Um, it, it varies for sure. Um, do you feel like you have work-life balance right now? Have you achieved it? I'm getting closer. Oh, it's not there <laughs> it's, No, no, it's not. I don't know if I'll ever completely be where have it where it needs to be. Um, what would you say? What, what would you say would be ideal for just out of curiosity? Yeah. I think different people have different definitions yeah. of work-life balance, and we're, none yeah. of us, I think, are talking about oh, we work four-hour work weeks here. They're like, <laughs> right. like I, I would love to the option to work out four-hour work week, but <laughs> guess what? I'm working forty-hour pluses anyway, yeah. so even yeah. if I could. So. But anyway. Yeah, well, and that's the thing for me is that I, I do love my business and love the work that we're doing. So I think for me, it's more of a tendency to spend more time on the business than I probably should be spending because, I, I mean, I love my family too. Mm -hmm. um, but trying to figure out where that line is, I, I think one of the things that is especially hard for me that I guess really messes up the work-life balance is... I have a tendency to pull my phone out at home and check emails or um, pull out the computer and make yeah. sure everything's okay or I just get an idea and I have to do it and that might not be the right time for it but mm -hmm. when it hits you it's really hard to stop yourself <laughs> sometimes yeah. and so, so I wouldn't say that I, I work too many hours right now okay. I, I feel like that's more in check but uh -huh. it's more of that not necessarily completely being able to turn off my the encroachment factor yeah that's yeah. what it is wow wow what about for you john like what what would feel better for you hmm 
Actually, I like my work-life balance. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> you know, I, I'm involved in, you know, I, I'm at work by 8.30, 9 o'clock. Mm-hmm. I leave at 5 o'clock every single day, exactly. Because my wife works right next door. That's and awesome. I have to that bring her to work. Yeah. And I have to leave with her. And when I'm at home, you know, we take care of the kids. And after a certain period, you know, I pretty much don't do anything at home very much. Unless it's like I have specific things I have to do. Yeah. Um, and I've gotten to a point where I'm like, screw it. Like, even if I lose money or if this business implodes, I don't care. Like, I'd rather just be really more productive during the day and then just like just be okay with like trust God and say, it's okay if it fails after mm-hmm. this. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Um, that gives me a lot of freedom in it. I mean, I have a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress in my life because the company isn't cash flow positive. Mm-hmm. We're growing it. It's just beginning. Um, but in terms of work-life balance, I, I can have a great work-life balance. I actually also help with an, a church plant. So it's a, we're starting a church. So that's like a, another startup I actually yeah, part really of. <laughs> and I have like all these extracurricular activities I'm part of as well. And so um, I really like what I do. I mean, mm-hmm. I have the freedom to choose specific projects or meet with people during the day. It has nothing to do with my business or my mm-hmm. church or any of that. Like I just mm-hmm. do all these different things too. So um, work-life balance has been good for me and, and I've been pretty good about like turning off things and just be just shut off. Um, people will survive by calling back tomorrow mm-hmm. or email the next day. Uh, I'm not good at details. So I may forget to do it, but, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, I'm okay with that. But work-life balance, this is a really good point. It's really, really important. Yeah. And uh, that's where I don't think I'll ever be burned out this is a calling for me. This is like, I love what I do. Like, this is what I was born to do. I, I, I feel like, and, yeah. and I feel like I'm good at it and I can be better. And, I, and this can be a, a really, really exciting ride. It's already been exciting. Um, when I was at MHS, I'll say that I averaged 35 hours a week working at MHS over the, you know, five, six years that I worked there. Um, and that's, you know, in the consulting company. So I, I felt really good about that. That's great. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For a complete transcript of this episode or to find previous episodes, visit our website at businessdesignpodcast.com. Have a question or comment? Email us at questions at businessdesignpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for Business Design Podcast. And follow us on Twitter for updates between episodes.